Under NASA's Artemis program, Dynetics and Lidos will develop and build a new human landing system, advancing economic opportunities and paving the way for a sustained lunar economy. Learn more at DyneticsHLS.com. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I will be back here. I will be back here. And I will be back. Welcome to For the Gold Podcast. We are back. Another rewind edition. Uh, we've done two rewinds where it ended favorably for the 49ers. We're going to rewind a game that had implications on the 49ers, not only in the 2013 season, but going forward. The NFC Championship game between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Uh, this was essentially the Super Bowl that year. Um, the Niners and Seahawks went blow for blow for four quarters and was likely the best NFC Championship game in the last decade. Uh, I'm here with Matt. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Uh, another week in quarantine. It's kind of nice, though, because Maryland's starting to open up a little bit. So some shops are starting to open. We can go places and, and do things. It's, it's nice. It's it's getting better. It's getting better. Um, but looking back at this game, I remember very specifically where I was, Max's Tap House, Fells Point, Baltimore, uh, watching the game uh, with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. Uh yeah, this this isn't going to be a, a super fun one to do, but we can't be all sunshine and rainbows, right? So we're no, going to mix yeah. it up a little bit and to and to help us break this game down and talk about everything from that 2013 season is our guy Rich Madrid, writer over at Niners Nation and at Football Zebras. Rich, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Great, man. Just uh, trying to get through this quarantine. I know you're in Washington. How's everything up there? Everything okay? Uh, yeah, we're actually doing a lot better than most states. We're still on lockdown, quarantine. Um, I'm considered, I guess, an essential worker for whatever reason, the company <laughs> I work for. So thankful that I still have a paycheck coming in. But um, as far as everything else goes, we 
don't look like we're going to be opening anything up till at least the beginning of June at this point. Oh, man, that's tough. Yeah, there's a lot of people still out there without work. But like you said, you're grateful to get have a paycheck, and that's another plus side to all this. And there's some people still working, and hopefully everyone else is out there being safe. Uh, hopefully the country gets back to normal real soon. Uh, but this is the 4th and Go Podcast. I'm Javi. That is Matt. Check out the podcast on all podcast platforms um, on Google, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you can find your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Um, so, like I said, we're going to get into the 2013 NFC Championship game. 49ers visit Seattle. Uh, the Niners and the Seahawks had played twice earlier in the season. Obviously, they're division rivals. Uh, they play in the NFC West, which was a gauntlet that season as well because the Cardinals were really good in 2013 too. And the Niners played twice. They got their butt kicked the first time. Uh, it was week three in Seattle or week two in Seattle. Um, Niners lose 29-3, to and then they play – the second to last game of Candlestick, where the Niners win nineteen to seventeen. That season, the Seahawks and the Niners were the two best teams in football. I think we can all agree there, correct? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Um, I mean, when you look at, we'll jump forward. Obviously, we know Seattle wins this game in the championship game. You look at just how badly they beat the shit out of the Broncos in the Super Bowl. The Forty ers yeah. would have done the exact same thing. But there's no question. Those were the two best teams in the NFL, hands down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they after that 1-2 and two start, um, they won, what, the next five, lost a couple, and then won the next eight before that NFC Championship game. Yeah. So, yeah, they were they were on a roll. And I actually had, I was fortunate enough to get to the Monday night game in D.C. against the Redskins that year. Um, and that's when they picked – that's when the win streak started. So – it uh, it was a good season. It just kind of had those those couple lows, you know, against the Panthers and the Saints. Um, one of the game, at least, well, both of them they probably should have won. The Panthers probably more so than the, more so than the Saints game. But any, any one of those games would have went their way, and you're looking at you know a home game for the 49ers in the NFC Championship game that year. Yeah, and even even a home game in the playoffs because they went on the road before they even got to Seattle. They had to go play yeah, the Packers yeah. and then the Panthers. So this whole lead up to the playoffs or this NFC Championship game had to go through the Packers and then the Panthers. Who the Panthers who had obviously beaten the Niners earlier on in the season. Um, this is where you know we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and how his playoff numbers weren't the greatest. Colin Kaepernick had probably one of the best playoff runs in 49ers franchise history. Um, going into this game, he's four and one in going into this game, and winning three road three three road playoff games. That's not something to sneeze at. And for Cap to come in there, I know the knock on him. He you know they they had a whole bunch of issues with Cap going into this game, but he had, he had balled out pretty well in both those playoff games early on uh, versus the Packers and the uh, the Panthers. We can agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. Kaepernick owns. The Green Bay Packers, much like we're seeing Kyle Shanahan just kind of put his thumb down on Mike Pettin and just dominate him. That's what Colin Kaepernick did to this to that Packers team for years. He was for three games. Yeah, and and even even back when Alex Smith was starting, Colin Kaepernick had one of those random plays where he came in and he had a huge play that set up a field goal right before halftime. I mean, he just had the Packers number the whole the whole time he was there. Yeah. It's um with Cap, it, you know, it's unfortunate how everything ended with Cap. But uh, going into this game, I wasn't the most confident person in the world. Where were you guys at with this game? I was nervous because 
all the talk was Seattle just doesn't lose at home. They don't lose at home. Uh, there was a crazy number on, you know, Russell Wilson. They were like 18-1 and one or something like that at home under Russell Wilson. Um, how confident were you guys going into this game? I was actually probably less confident about the Panthers game than the Seahawks game. Um, I was already living in North Carolina. I was stationed out there at the time uh, for this for those two seasons, two or three seasons, um, 12 through 14. So out, out in out there near Charlotte, you know, it, it was a little bit different for me at the time. The Seahawks was still a great rivalry, and I had a couple friends that I was going back and forth with at the time, <laughs> but. I just felt more nervous about that divisional round game than the than the NFC Championship. I figured if they would have if they'd beat the Panthers, they'd probably have a good shot at beating the Seahawks. And I didn't really, really didn't really feel too uh, nervous about that one. I, I was the exact opposite. So I also was in the Carolinas for most of the 2013 season, but I was on Paris Island. So I missed. Uh, I saw the one and two start. I saw the loss to the Colts. The next day, I was on a on a bus or a van, or whatever you want to call it, down to Paris Island for boot camp. I missed 13 weeks, and then the first game I came back to see was the pick of the stick. Um, and I saw the season round out. I was confident in the playoffs against the Packers. I was confident against the Panthers. I I, I, I didn't think there was any way the 49ers were going to win this game. I legitimately thought that, that at Seattle was the bane of their existence. I was having flashbacks to week two when they just got demolished just absolutely the ass handed to them and I just did not think they were going to go in and compete uh, I, I thought it was going to be kind of close but I didn't think they were going to win I actually told my old man on the phone I was like it's going to be 23-17 the Seahawks are going to win spoiler alert that's what the final score was but I didn't put it in writing so all you guys have to do is just like trust that I, I did say that at some point because um, I don't have a screenshot or anything I didn't put it on Twitter so just, just believe me that I, I did think that the Seahawks were going to win this game, no questions asked. Yeah. So with this game, a lot of a lot of things come out of this game. We'll get into it as we get through it. Um, real quick, you know, with with the the thing that irritated me the most about Seahawks was the twelfth man in living down south. All you heard was <laughs> Texas A and M and their twelfth man, and they had their whole litigation thing and all that stuff. Was this the high point of the twelfth man and that crowd noise? Because I don't think that home field advantage exists as it used to. Is are we? Can we agree there? I think Seattle's kind of lost a little bit of that home field advantage the last couple seasons. Because to watching this game, rewatching yeah, this game, you can feel the the crowd through the screen. Yeah, I think that was, I think that was their peak for that whole that whole saga surrounding their crowd noise. You know, um, I, half of it is artificial. I I still firmly believe that. Um, <laughs> I just it's. I think that for especially for them going into the 2014 season and then losing that Super Bowl for them the next year, I just think it um, it just hasn't been the same. And I've lived up here since 2015, you know, amongst all these people, and it's just not. It's it's a completely different vibe than it was probably 2012, 2013 for them. So, you know, for them it didn't even last that long. You know, they had a couple good playoff runs, and then since then they really haven't done anything except get either not make it or get bounced in the first game they play. So um, not really uh, – I think it only lasted maybe a year or two. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, there, it cause... felt like it, 
Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I was saying, yeah, I was just thinking, it felt like they were, the, the crowd noise was tied to the Legion of Boom. And that defense drove everything for them, right? Like, Russell Wilson's obviously incredible. He's a great quarterback. But the identity of that Seahawks team was the Legion of Boom, was Cam Chancellor, was Earl Thomas, was Richard Sherman. And I think as they were at their peak, so was the crowd. And then once you started to see them fall off a little bit, they they lost their swagger a little bit. And once they lost their swagger, I think the fans lost it a little bit as well. So 2013 definitely feels like it was that was it. Like that was as good as it was ever going to be for Seattle. Yeah. So, you know, I lived up there for four and a half years. Um, I was stationed in Everett, which is 30 minutes north of Seattle. So I used to go to games all the time. And I've said it before on the podcast. I've always felt the Seahawks fan base is pretty fraudulent because, you know, for folks to say, oh, we've been fans forever. I've gone to that stadium when it was empty, like empty. And the military, MWR would give us free tickets. And I would go and I would sit there. I watched the Eagles play there. I've seen the Niners play there. I've seen the Redskins beat the shit out of the Seahawks. Like the fan base isn't as loyal as they make themselves out to be. So before we get into this game, I want to throw those shots at the Seahawks fans. So if you're listening, that's for you. Um, but let's get into this game man the game starts off the Niners kick off the ball uh this is the last time we see Alden Smith Patrick Willis Navarro Bowman and Ahmad Brooks share the field at the same time and that hit me re-watching this game and it hit me two days ago when I was like wait a second we didn't see this this, this group uh, ever again after that. But the first play of the game, Russell Wilson rolls out, or play-action boot, he rolls out, Alden Smith chases him down, sack fumble, and here we go because I'm losing my shit in my living room. I'm, I'm like, all right, okay, there's something here. The Niners came to play. You know, They were not intimidated by this crowd. They weren't intimidated by the Seahawks. They came out ready to punch you in the mouth. And something, you know, something quite often with – the Harbaugh Niners, they couldn't turn turnovers into touchdowns, um, especially in the red zone, because they they don't make they don't get anything out of this. They get the ball back at the fifteen, um, and they they you know three plays later they 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 go for a field goal, and that's I think that's one of the most frustrating parts about the Harbaugh era is all the field goals, um, especially with some of the weapons that they did have and with Cap, and then of course Crabtree had his breakout year in twelve and thirteen. Um, what was going through you guys' head at that first that first play? Wilson keeps it, trying to get him going, and balls out. It is recovered. Alden Smith knocked it out and got on top. And a big start on the first play from scrimmage as Alden Smith made the play, knocked it away, and then comes up with the recovery. Russell Wilson going early in this game. They run the boot, get him outside, and he just fails to protect the football. Alden Smith comes up, strips him. You see Alden Smith, he's playing outside linebacker. Um, he comes up the field. So it looks like Wilson doesn't secure the football. The Seahawks are running a naked boot to their left. Yeah. And I've got the game pulled up right now. And uh, if not for that chip on Alden Smith, um, they probably turn that into a big gain. And the chip kind of slows him down and he reads what's going on 
So he drops off and then chases Wilson around before he, you know, strip sacks him. But um, that was, I thought at that point, I was like, okay, there's no way they're going to lose this game. They're going to, they can turn this into a touchdown. You know, it's, it's going to be a, a battle for Seattle after that. And it, for the most part, it was even with the field goal, but it, it was a, it was a play that I thought, if anything, this, this is going to swing the momentum in their favor. Um, especially they, they need this early on in the game up there in that crowd, but it, it was disappointing to watch them go quick three and out right after that. Um, yeah, just, I, I don't, that, that red zone offense was atrocious, you know, for <laughs> how good, they, for how good they were. I mean, I went back and ran the data, um, after the chip Kelly years, after the years, the year that he got fired. <laughs> and I, I was comparing the comparing the numbers each season from the beginning of Harbaugh to the end of Chip Kelly before Shanahan took over. And Chip Kelly's year, they actually had a better red zone efficiency than the than the Harbaugh years. So yikes. Um, yeah. Well, in terms yeah, just in terms of scoring touchdowns, it was a lot better than any of those Harbaugh years. So um, you can kind of get a, a sense for how bad it was during during those years, even though they were such a dominant team. Yeah, the defense for the 49ers carried them, right? They they could, they could afford to kick field goals because their defense was just going to hold everybody else. Uh, yeah. w- w- once Olden Smith poked that ball out, and I was going nuts. I I, I thought I thought all all of my anxiety about the game and thinking the 49ers didn't have a shot completely went out the window. I I was a game on. This is the Niners. They 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 showed up. There. This is their game to lose now. And then all that anxiety came flooding immediately back when they went three and out and kicked the field goal. I, they needed a touchdown on yeah. that, on that drive. There's no, you got, you're going to punch them in the mouth. That's great, but you got to finish the job. And I, I just remember thinking they needed seven points there. And I wasn't happy with three. Obviously I'm happy with any points, but I was not ecstatic with three. I'll take yeah. it, but I wanted seven. So the Niners, the Niners had issues with the Seahawks all season. And we all know this because um, the Fox put a pretty good, Pretty good stat up on the screen while watching the game. The Niners had scored one touchdown in 29, 22 offensive possessions versus the Seahawks for the season. So in, in two games, they only scored one touchdown. And I was at the game that they scored a touchdown. And that was the, the week 15, yeah, week 15 game in, in Candlestick. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just the, the dominance of the Seahawks defense that season was crazy. And then, of course, like like Rich said, the Reds, Red, Red Zone offense was atrocious. It was just... It was just bad, and for the weapons that they had, Bolden was a physical receiver. Crabtree was kind of finesse. You can see he kind of shied away from some contact in this game, too. Um, I think the Seahawks kind of got into Crabtree and, and Vernon's head because those guys didn't look like the guys we had seen in playoffs before. Um, Bolden, on the other hand, just shows up. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to punch you in the mouth as well. Um, so they don't take advantage of the field position, um, and – the Niners, you know, they on defense they continue to do what they do. And the matchup of this game that I really enjoyed watch rewatching was watching Bowman Willis versus Marshawn Lynch. That was just a train wreck every time they collided. It was just nonstop, just power versus power. Um, and neither team was backing down, especially Bowman Willis. They were constantly in the face of Marshawn Lynch. Um, that run defense that season they hadn't allowed a hundred yard rusher on the season in 2013 for the Niners. So that was just another another factor in this game. The Niners defense was elite, but it, they just lacked the secondary like the Seahawks did that season, I think. 
Yeah, they didn't need to really rely on the secondary that much those first couple of years. Um, and I think that's, that's what kind of hurt them in some of those, especially in that Super Bowl uh, in 2012, you know, not having the guys that could cover on the back end because as soon as Justin Smith got hurt that year, that defense got exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, 2013 was better, but, you know, it was still – you had Eric Reed in there as a rookie, and you still had – what is it, Whitner? Yeah, Whitner's back Whitner there, yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Carlos Rogers was there. I mean, he was all mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yep. And uh, they they still – it was in this game, the defense still dominated. Um, out, you know, on the offense, it was Kaepernick and Crabtree that took over, and on, it, the defense as a whole just played really well throughout most of this game. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The defense, the defense was electric, and they they put pressure on them. They 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 stalled drives when they needed to stall drives for the Seattle offense, and they played well. But yeah, just not having the not having the playmakers on the back end, it kind of reminds you of now, right? It, this this team's kind of mirrored. Like the 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 front seven is is elite across the board, but once you get past that, it's do they have the playmakers to to make the big plays? Yeah. Yeah, and it was the one big play that I'm we're, I'm jumping ahead here, but the one big play that hurt the 49ers in this game was the fourth down play where they jumped off sides mm-hmm. and Wilson threw that threw that touchdown and if Rodgers had just if he was like an inch sooner and in getting his hand in there to he would have probably tipped the ball away and it would have been a I mean it was still a penalty but wouldn't have been a touchdown. But that was, you know, that was the one thing that mm-hmm. killed them in this game was just the jump off sides but for the rest of the game they they held Wilson in that offense in check even though they lacked some of the playmakers yeah so you know so the Seahawks they go three and out on their second drive Niners get the ball um and the Niners moving here and you know 13 yard reception to McDonald 17 yard run by Cap and Cap keeps this you know this drive somewhat of alive um but it stalls as you you know again and another thing that stuck out was Andy Lee. Andy Lee um, has a monster pun here. Pins him down at the one, um, and it's just. And then we start we start seeing the penalties that aren't being called. And I, I don't want to get into like how the Niners might have been screwed in this game. But there was a lot of stuff not going the Niners' way in this game, especially from a penalty standpoint. A lot of missed calls. Rewatching this game, I'm like, where is this holding call? Where is this unnecessary roughness? Where is this late hit? The Seahawks were just getting away with a lot of shit. I know we have Richard Sherman on the Niners now, and he, you know, he's, he's still kind of grabby, but Sherman's very grabby in this game. Did you guys pick up on that as, as much as um, the Seahawks were so, you know, grabby at the point of attack? Yeah, I mean, they were getting away with it a lot those two years um, because they knew, and they specifically said this at some point, but they, they said that they would just do it every play because they knew the ref wasn't going to call it every single play. Yeah. So. Um, the one penalty that really hurt them on this drive where they punt, where they pin the Seahawks down at the one, um, was the unnecessary roughness by Whitner. Yeah. And in real time, I mean, you, you got to remember these guys are calling these plays in real time, and it looks like you know unnecessary roughness, helmet to helmet, things like that. But you know they they don't have they they're not doing what they do now to re- review some of these hits, so. In real time, it looks like a penalty. They're going to call it, and that that goes for anything, basically. Yeah, and right before that, when I say roughness call, 
because the Niners, the, the the Seahawks get the ball back. He throws a uh, a pass, drops it over. Um, Russ drops a pass right over. Reed's fingers, like Reed, is in perfect position. He mm-hmm. barely yeah. misses an interception yeah. here. So Eric Reed, for his first year as a rookie, I thought was outstanding. Pro Bowl. I, I don't know what the hell happened. I, maybe just the coaching changes and everything else. He didn't, you know, he never played up to that rookie season. Um, and Doug Baldwin was was coming into his own this year too. So um, for Eric Reed to to be in that perfect position, and then the following play is that play you're talking about, Whitner. He hits him with his shoulder, and I think what makes it look worse is the tight end Wilson head bounces off the ground, so it just looks way worse than what it actually was. And the unnecessary roughness call shouldn't have been called. Uh, and you can hear Joe. And uh, Troy, they're like, that's not unnecessary rough. They they say it. They're like, that's a terrible call. So mm-hmm. it was just, you know, those those things hurt. You know, in a pivotal game like this, you they gotta get it, they gotta get that shit right. Like going forward in the NFL, those things need to be corrected. I'd rather have that stuff cleaned up as opposed to, you know, let's review pass interference when it didn't happen. Like I I rather not see that stuff anymore. Under NASA's Artemis program, Dynetics and Lidos will develop and build a new human landing system, advancing economic opportunities and paving the way for a sustained lunar economy. Learn more at DyneticsHLS.com. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, these 15-yard penalties, automatic first downs, and, and just... <clears throat> they're, they're drive killers for offense, and, and you know, they just... They're, they're gut punches for the defense. And they they need to bring in a way to review these and do it quickly and efficiently. Because, I mean, I think we saw stuff like uh, Quan Alexander was ejected week one uh, this last year because he hit James Winston after he was sliding. But if you, if you go back and watch the replay, Quan Alexander's going to make the tackle long before Winston decides to slide. 15-yard penalty, you know, Quan gets thrown out of the game and the run defense suffers as 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 a result. So the Whitner hit was not it it wasn't. It wasn't. And, and it just felt like watching it live and then rewatching it and some of the feelings flooded back. It just felt like you're right. Things were starting to go Seattle's way. And they were going Seattle's way a lot. And it just kinda I I'm never one to like blame the referees because they can't they shouldn't be able to control the game. If you're gonna win, you're gonna win. Um, but it just felt like they were way leaning heavy towards Seattle all game long. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah. like, go ahead, go ahead, Rich. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it did suck, but they still held them to a punt after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next, you know, three the next three plays uh, didn't really go their way. I mean, they got Seattle back with a holding, so that moved them back. And then... They were already in second and long. I mean, the way the defenses were playing in this game, nobody was going to give up a second and long at that point. So, you know, they they get a quick nine yard completion, and then they get a, uh, they sack Wilson again on third and nine. So it, that was a, a pretty eventful quarter at that point. So, um, real quick about this season, um, I got to actually meet Dante Whitner, and I could have swore this guy was like six two, six three. <laughs> 
Um, he's literally my height, but yoked out of his mind. So it was just something I was like, wait a second, you're you're my height, bro. What what the hell? Because you know, rewatching him, he looks bigger on in pads and things like that. So I was like, man, how are you tackling these humongous receivers and tight ends? And he's like, I'm just physical. And he, you know, he talked to me for like five ten minutes. He was really cool. Um, but like you said, you held him to a punt. Niners take over, um, and Sherman has Crabtree and Clamps all game. I just wanted to point that out. And I rewatching this game for like the second time. I'm I'm paying more attention to that kind of stuff. And Crabtree really didn't have much of a chance against Sherman. Um, and then the Niners' run game couldn't do anything. Frank couldn't run. If it wasn't for Cap, this game is not anywhere where it was. Um, the first quarter ends three nothing, and then Kaepernick gets the Niners have the ball still. Cap explodes for that humongous 58 yard run. Kaepernick with those long strides inside Seattle territory. Colin Kaepernick is going to be tripped up at the 10. And number seven is doing it again for San Francisco, 58 yards. Well, watch these linebackers this time. Whereas before, K.J. Wright was watching Kaepernick. This time, no eyes on Kaepernick. They drop into their zone coverages. You would expect them to be... Um, he's putting the team on his back, essentially. Cap had... The thing, the thing that with Cap that kind of always pissed me off is like his, his inability inside the pocket to move. But once he broke free of the pocket... Not many guys were catching him, and you saw that in this game. You saw it in all his other playoff games. Um, and I think that's what separates him. That's what, I think that's what separates Russell from Cap. Russ can move in that small, confined space because he's not such a long strider and where Cap was so such a long strider. Um, and then, you know, for the game, Kaepernick already has 100 yards rushing with 12 minutes left in the second quarter. So he's, he's carrying the team. And at that point, with 11 minutes left in the um, – in the second quarter, it's 108 rushing yards to 11. Niners leading that. So, and most of those rush yards are all cap. Um, Niners get the ball. Niners still have the ball. They're in the red zone. They get to the one yard line. Touchdown, Booby Dixon. It's Dixon. And it's a touchdown. Anthony Dixon is in for the score. And it's 10 nothing. And I'm like, okay. We're in good shape for all the shit that the Niners have been dealing with with penalties um, and not being able to run the ball very well. They're still in scoring position because of Colin Kaepernick, and the defense is holding, and they're doing their thing. And I th- one big thing that goes in this game that kind of affects it later, Mike Potty goes down, and he doesn't return. Adam Snyder is in, um, and he takes over at uh, left guard for the rest of the game. So that affected the run game going forward, too. Um and I think looking back at it now, Golden Tate, Doug Baldwin, uh, and Curse, they were underrated. I, I, I really enjoyed Baldwin's career. Um, and early on in this Seahawks-Niners rivalry, I didn't like any of those guys. But rewatching it, I'm like, okay, Doug Baldwin's pretty damn nice. Golden Tate's pretty good. And even Curse, for what he was, he did fairly well. Um, Niners were up 10 nothing at this point. How are we all feeling at this point in the game? Pretty good. Yeah, I think if you take ten nothing on the road in the playoffs, you'll take it every time. It, it just felt like that's what was going on. Frank Gore could not get anything going all game long, like just all game. He finished with eleven attempts for fourteen yards. I mean, yikes! It is not great and not 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 what the Forty ers wanted to see from Frank Gore. Um, yeah, up to nothing. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling. I'm feeling on cloud nine. Yeah, it was. Uh, I kind of calmed down a little bit at this point, up ten nothing, because 
it, it seemed like, you know, again, I keep saying this, but the way it was going, it seemed like they were just going to hold them for the most part on defense. But as back then, as now, you know, you, it's never fun to watch Russell Wilson take control of another drive. <laughs> so I just Russ have more, is... of a, more of an appreciation for it now than I did back then. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about feel about this going back through it. Um, and it's at this point, the Niners have held the Seattle Seahawks offense to 48 yards, and um, Navarro Bowman is unstoppable. He already has he had seven tackles in the sec going into the finishing up the second quarter. Um, <clears throat> Seahawks still with the ball, and then Russell Wilson, of course, off off script, throws a 51 yard bomb to Doug Baldwin. Um, Niners end up holding for a field goal here, so it's 10-3. I hated that play. And then it, oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. Talk about it, Rich. Tell me, because this is, this is the thing that irritates me the most about watching Russell Wilson play against the Niners. He always has one of these type plays. Like, I don't understand how he does this so well. You you watch a lot of film. What do you see with Russell Wilson? Second down and seven. Wilson out to his right. Nowhere to throw it. Now Dorsey can't get to him. And this one down the middle of the field. It's Baldwin. Baldwin down inside the 15. Russell Wilson kept it alive. Well, this is one of the big plays. And so often they come off of the scramble by Russell Wilson. They've got him trapped. Actually had the 49ers did two defenders deep. But they just got a little bit careless on the back end. Dante Whitner and Eric Reed. They allowed Baldwin to get down the middle of the field and get open for them and Russell Wilson shows off a strong arm and being able to I get mean it down he's never field. been a guy who's been able to just consistently work from the pocket so immediately on this play they get him on the move mm-hmm. um, kind of like a sprint right option type play that we're all familiar with and all the receivers are running that way um, no absolutely zero pass rush so he's standing back there looking around then he rolls back to his left and he hits uh, Baldwin 51 yards downfield behind uh, Whitner and Reed. So there's just the I can I can deal with him rolling around and trying to find somebody to throw to. What I what I don't like is how Baldwin just got behind both safeties, and it looked like Whit uh, who was it? It looks like Whitner traveled to the sideline with Baldwin, and then Baldwin just works back to the field, and Whitner's kind of jogging back realizes it's thrown and by that time it's too late yeah yeah so it, yeah he works yeah like you said he works him back to the sideline and then <clears throat> winner takes his eyes off him for like a split second and then boom big reception 51 yards um for the Niners luckily they hold here they only give up three it's 10 to three um and it's it's 10 to three at halftime and this is I felt good about this game, you know. I, you know, I, they're getting to Russell, they're, you know, they're hitting him, uh, but they're, they're getting there a little too late, especially on that last on that play to Baldwin to 51 yards. But to that point of that 51 yard pass, Seattle only had 48 yards of offense. So the defense for the Niners, like you said, they weren't going to give up a second long. They weren't giving up big plays, and they gave up one big play there, and you know that's three points. If you could have gone into halftime 10 nothing, you know maybe your your the, the game plan changes a little bit in the second half. Um, one thing about this game, the Niners had issues with catching the ball early on in this game. Uh, Vance McDonald can't block Michael Bennett. Um, the receivers can't catch anything. 
And I think Earl and Cam just started putting the fear of God in, into these receivers for the Niners. They just Cam Chancellor was just a guy I liked watching him, but what he did to Vernon Davis was just completely disrespectful. I, you know, he took his soul and just I, he was never really the same. I know people say he was never the same, and I you know rewatching this game, I'm like, yeah, Cam owned Vernon Davis um, in this. So it's. So far, you know, in the first half, it's it's Alden, Alden, Bo, Willis, and Cap are the biggest factors in this game. They're consistently making tackles, and Cap is doing what he can with his legs because the pass game isn't working. Um, and then, you know, the announcement at after halftime is Upati's off for the game. So you see a little bit there. You see the pressure start to dial up on Cap too because you're missing the Pro Bowl left guard, and Mike Upati was, you know, one of the better linemen we've had this past decade as well. So. Um, and then Frank Gore can't do anything in the second half either. So the uh, the Niners go three and out again, of course. Um, actually, I'm sorry. No, the Niners finally get a third down conversion in this game, and then they, they stall again. And then Seahawks get the ball back. They start from their 11. The, they, yeah, the Seahawks start their drive. Lynch for 11. The Seahawks score three plays later on a 40-yard touchdown. Um <laughs> by Marshawn Lynch. And Marshawn always had these big runs in him because he would he would sit behind his lineman patiently and then bounce it outside. That's exactly what he did. Marshawn Lynch was another guy during this run. It's like, yes, we had Bowman and Willis, but our corners and our safeties weren't really going to take him down. Um, when, Marshawn, when Marshawn has those runs, man, the crowd goes nuts. And this is where the momentum swung for the Seahawks. And we're tied at 10-10. So it's... Just like that, they're back in the game. It's 10-10, and um, now I'm back to getting nervous. It's Lynch. It's a first down. Marshawn! Is in for the touchdown! extra tight end offensive lineman the block that he makes right there and then Eric Reed the rookie free safety overruns it and Marshawn Lynch able to take this in for a touchdown seems like every time you watch a yeah. game you got um yeah Eric Reed overruns the uh the running back's path there um really bad i mean they had him stopped uh, after he hit through after he got through the hole they had him they pretty much had him dead to rights, and then he just makes a cut, and Reed overruns it, and then he's off to the races. Ugh. It's terrible, <laughs> this, terrible angle. That was that was that was always that was my biggest knock on Eric Reed when they drafted him was he took really poor angles in the run game when he was coming downhill, and a lot of times he got left, you know, just tackling air, and that's what happened there. Um, and then he looked at. Jermaine Brock, at the end of that play, also decided that he made a business decision and didn't want anything to do with trying to bring down Marshawn Lynch once he had a full full head of steam. And it's, you know, it's not ideal, but it is what it is, right? That's what you see from some of these guys. And it's, uh, yeah, this yeah. was this was when it all came back. And I was like, ah, I fucking told you guys we weren't going to win this game. Like, that's, that's what I was telling my wife at the time. Jermaine was, Brock catches him and just, Reaches out, touches him, and then says, ah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what he does. He yeah. I mean, he caught up to him, no problem. And then 
you know, instead of jumping on him or whatever, just, uh, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, and the way the oh, the way the defenses were playing, if you tackle him on the five, it's not a guaranteed touchdown. No, you know the the way everything was going, you have to. Like, those are the plays that can separate wins, losses, and Super Bowl titles. Um, it, it's just it it's a tough look. It's a tough look to come back from. Yeah, and at ten ten, you know the Niners get the ball back. They start to drive. Gore finally breaks a run. He gets nine yards. Niners are driving here. Cap has two um, really good throws on this drive here. He has a, a big throw to, to Crabtree where Crabtree has to kind of go up and get it just a little bit um, for 22 yards. And this is, you know, they Joe and Troy talk about how Harbaugh says uh, Crabtree is the greatest catcher of all time. And, you know, he, Crabtree had made some really good sweet, pat, sweet receptions this playoff run, especially against the Panthers, and then this one here for 22 yards. Um, Colin runs again for a big gain. Now they're five plays. It took five plays. They're inside the thirty. Cap fumbles. I lose my damn mind. But they were, you know, they recover the ball, and then quite, you know, we had we, we posted on Twitter that this might have been one of the best throws in Forty Nine er history. Colin Kaepernick, second and eight. He, you know, he's in the pocket. Um, he runs out and he he jump throws from the thirty to the end zone, over the fingertips of Earl Thomas for a touchdown to Anquan Bolden. This throw, you know, we talk about Mahomes, we talk about Aaron Rodgers, we talk about guys like that, and I know Kaepernick may not be in, in their, you know, in their league, but Cap had some amazing throws on the run, off script uh, for his career, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. This throw, walk me through this throw. Kaepernick hops through trouble and now throws. End zone, caught for the touchdown. Quan Bolden and Kaepernick made that happen. It was a very risky throw on his part. Earl Thomas is who picks him up. Looked like he was in a perfect position then to make a play on the ball. He's just a little off balance, isn't able to, to jump quite the way that he would yeah, like. Yeah, he's it's up to that point it was like one of the the best craziest throws I've ever seen. He just he off platform, he jumps. It's kind of awkward, and he just rifles it above Earl Thomas's reach, and the and Bolden catches it. I mean, there's no way that this should have been a completed pass, and Thomas is full extension in the air, trying to get a some kind of finger or hand on it, and it he just can't. Um, I don't I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, Cap made probably half dozen throws of that nature. I mean, he had that one to Bolden in 2014 against the Rams on Monday Night oh, Football. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just some ridiculous wild throws that we see Mahomes make all the time now that Cap was doing back then. Um, just incredible. It just it, it's, an, it's probably the most athletic throw I've ever seen. Like, there's just nobody else makes that throw except, like, Maybe Wilson and Rodgers and now Mahomes, but nobody nobody's capable of making that outside of those guys. Yeah, that that throw is still to this day the most <clears throat> athletic thing I think I've ever seen done. I grew up watching a lot of NBA dunk contests. I've seen a lot of athletic th- that throw, no feet on the ground, and to get the ball over All Pro Earl Thomas. And I look, I don't know. I, 
there's there's a there's quarterbacks and receivers that felt like they were meant for each other. Like you and you watched like Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning, you always felt like that was a really easy combination. They always worked really well together. Colin Kaepernick and Anquan Bolden were built for each other because Colin Kaepernick throws fucking rockets and Anquan Bolden is just like, Yep, give it to me. I love it. And he catches he caught him all the time. There's a lot of guys that wouldn't want to play with Colin Kaepernick because he threw the ball too hard. Anquan Bolden wasn't one of them. I loved watching those two work together. And <clears throat> and Bolden made a great catch with the defender right in his face. That throw is just it just oozes athleticism. It oozes I love it. I I love going back to watch that highlight because it is so damn good. So with the with that play, that's literally the last positive thing to happen in this game for the Niners. And <laughs> Before we yeah. before we go forward in the game, Colin Kaepernick. Let's just let's let's talk about it. Colin Kaepernick. The the knock it was he didn't have touch. He didn't know how to take things off his uh, off his throws. He doesn't know how to read defenses. Um, Rich, I know you've done a, your fair share of articles and and and, and threads and film work. Colin Kaepernick can read defenses. He can take a little bit off his throws. You know, yes, he sometimes he's a little bit inaccurate. Um, can could Colin Kaepernick run this Kyle Shanahan offense now? Yes, and I say that um, as someone who was kind of down on him in 2014 and 15 because he wasn't. I mean, he could have probably run that early Shanahan offense with RG3. They would have. They were doing a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when you go look at a lot of the concepts that Harbaugh's running, and you look at a lot of what Shanahan's running. Really, the only difference is, you know, on paper is the names, uh, the nomenclature of the plays, whereas Shanahan will have, you know, a, a, th- a three-line sentence worth of a play name. Harbaugh's is probably half of that, but the concepts, ideas are in behind them are the same. Um, you know, they're even mirrored almost the same way on some plays. And I definitely think you know, Shanahan could have implemented Kaepernick into that offense in some way. Like it, he wouldn't have, he would have just needed to learn the nomenclature. I don't think it would have been an issue after that. Um, we don't really know how either coach teaches progressions and if they're teaching them to look, you know, look at your route progressions or look at what a certain defenders doing on any given play. We don't, we just don't know how they teach that. Um, and so there's there's no reason for me to believe that he couldn't run this offense as it currently stands. I mean, it's a lot of play action. That's what Kaepernick was doing. It's a lot of under center. Kaepernick was doing a lot of under center um, with Harbaugh. Um, the only difference is, you know, Kaepernick can run, and Shanahan doesn't really, given his history, doesn't really like quarterbacks that have that ability because it it, it takes – he says it takes away from – you know, the ability to run play action the way he wants to run it, um, which, you know, you can argue back and forth with that, but the the reality is if you don't want Colin Kaepernick to run, he doesn't have to run. I mean, no quarterback yeah. has to. You know, you can, you know, he can run if he has to, and then if not, you know, most of the time he's going to throw the ball. So, I don't really buy a lot of the the criticisms of Cap that way. I mean, I think I think Shanahan wanted what he wanted, and I don't think it had anything to do with Kaepernick's playing ability. Um, I think it 
Shanahan just wanted to come in with fresh start with his own team and build it his own way instead of tying it to the past and and having to feel like he had to incorporate a lot of the roster that he inherited. So um, I always thought the criticisms of Kaepernick were kind of dumb anyways, like he couldn't read a defense. But, you know, people that say that don't really, you know, ask them what he's supposed to read. Ask them what the route progressions are. Um, we don't even know what the route progressions are. I have an idea based on the resources I have with Harbaugh's playbook and Shanahan's playbooks and all that. But, you know, week to week, game to game, I mean, we don't know what these coaches are telling the quarterbacks to read on certain plays. So I think those criticisms are unfair. I think they're not really grounded in reality. And I think they're just a crutch for people to use against Kaepernick that, you know, really just don't want to say the real reason why they don't like the guy. Yeah, and I, you, you taught me that. You taught me about read progressions and just how that, you know, those things work. And, you know, rewatching a lot of Cap stuff, and I'm like, okay, that, that knock is unfounded that he couldn't read defenses. That's I'm right there with you. And, you know, I get it with, with Kyle Shanahan wanting to redo everything on his own and go from there. But um, I mean, that's the thing with – that's even the thing with Shanahan now in his offense is the quarterback's not making – most quarterbacks in the league are not making full field reads. They're only reading one side because most plays have two different concepts based on the coverage you're going to get. You know, you're either going to get a two high or a single high, and then you determine what you're going to do pre-snap. Um, and sometimes that changes post-snap. But most – and, you know, unless you're like Drew Brees or something, you're not reading – no, no quarterback really reads the full field because no quarterback has time to read the full field. Yeah, it, it's like you say. There's a lot of sunglasses and dogs for Twitter avatars for guys saying they can't read defense. Uh, it's guys that can't read defenses themselves. So, it, I, I I agree. I always found that the the criticisms were unfounded and. There was a little bit more. Once you dug in to see what exactly was going on, you could tell what was happening. Um, it, and I think you're also right, Rich, when you said that Shanahan wanted to start his own thing. When we saw Under NASA's Artemis program, Dynetics and Lidos will develop and build a new human landing system, advancing economic opportunities and paving the way for a sustained lunar economy. Learn more at DyneticsHLS.com. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Him come in, Kaepernick was still on the roster. They agreed to mutually part ways. Um, and I think it's because Shanahan decided, we saw that with the first quarterback he brought in with Brian Hoyer. He wanted somebody that can run the style of offense he wants to run, and Colin Kaepernick wasn't that. He didn't want anything to be... Like you said, tied to the past. He wanted to, he wanted a hard reset, and that's exactly what yeah. Shanahan got. And that's I firmly believe that because he he picked a quarterback who already knew what Shanahan wanted to do, and so there wasn't going to be a, a learning curve with the new quarterback. Um, we've we talk about how quarterbacks in year two in Shanahan's offense make these leaps and bounds, and I 
I don't necessarily know that that's true, but there is some kind of value in having a guy there who already can teach, you know, who already knows the offense and can teach the guys around him. And that's, I mean, it's it's apparent that that's what they did, you know, mm-hmm. early on. So, <clears throat> yeah, no, I'm 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 right there with you. But you know, I I'm gonna I'll say it. I'll, I'm, I'll keep saying it. I don't care. I cap should still be in the league and. There's, you know, if we can have guys like Brian Horace still playing quarterback in the NFL, Calvin Kaepernick should still be in the NFL. Um, that's another topic for another day. Um, so, like I said, this was literally the last, like, positive thing to happen to the Niners. They score that touchdown. They go up 17-0. And immediately, Doug Bolton runs back a 69-yard kickoff return. And that was mm-hmm. like, you got to be kidding me. You you know, you have the high of, yeah, we just scored. You know, the Niners have struggled all game to get in the end zone. They struggled, you know, with the Seahawks over the last 24, 25 possessions to get touchdowns. So to score two touchdowns in one game, that's a big deal considering how good the Seahawks defense was. So they get in the end zone again, 17-10, Doug Wall returns it for 69 yards. Um, and this is where the questionable calls start to pile up. Willis blitzes Russell Wilson. Russell throws it away. Should have been grounding, but the following play, they called grounding on him again. Vic Fangio is elite this game. I just want to point that out. Like, he's dialing mm-hmm. up some great stuff in this game. Um, and the Niners hold them after that 69-yard field goal. I'm sorry, 69-yard kick return uh, to just a field goal. So then it's 17-13. to 13, um, And before that, before the field goal, Eric Reed like, lights up Marshawn Lynch. And this is, I think, Eric Reed made up for that big touchdown that he allowed. But he... he he put he put a big hit on on Marshawn Lynch uh, in that on that drive, um, and the Niners get the ball back. They go three and out, and this is another questionable call. Should have been roughing the kicker. The Niners would have had, you know, another series of downs here, and they don't get it because, of course not. They don't get what they need there as far as uh, a call. Go figure. And you know, I, I this game just had so many. Uh, moments with the officials and you know that one with the rough and the kicker one was really one that swung momentum um and it gives you know the Niners the the Seahawks a short field essentially so it's just it's just frustrating you know re-watching this game and and seeing how much shit the Niners didn't the, the Seahawks got away with in this game and you know that was a clear rough in the kicker he ran into his plant leg and it was you know it was a short punt um he, you know, and Golden Tate takes it back to the the Seahawks forty. So they're on a short field already. They're already in. You know, they get thirty <laughs> yards here. They're in field goal range. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's just frustrating. I, I, Seahawks just irritate me, man. I I can't stand them. And the Niners, yeah, just, the, they didn't do anything after this. Yeah, that was the that was probably the biggest questionable call of that game. Um, mm-hmm. It should have been. Uh, roughing the kicker, and it should have been an automatic first down. Um, so basically, the the rule has two parts. Um, you can contact. I, what is it? I believe it's the uh, um, contact with the leg. It's running into the kicker. Will be called when it's the kicking leg and roughing the kicker. Running into the kicker when it's the kicking leg and roughing the kicker when it's the plant leg. Obviously, one has. A greater safety significance than the other so mm-hmm. if it's the if it's the plant leg it's a bigger safety issue so that draws the bigger penalty 
Um, and in that play, he contacted the plant leg of Andy Lee, and that should have been a 15-yard penalty. And it it wasn't, obviously. Yeah, that's that's automatic, right? That's like somebody hits yeah. the quarterback in the head. That's automatic roughing the passer. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't really matter how hard or whatever you hit the quarterback in the head. It's roughing the passer. <clears throat> you you run into the plant leg of the punter. It's that's it. Game over. Fifteen yard penalty. That's how it is. Every it's, that's how it is. Ninety nine percent of the time, when you're watching football games, and this is just one of those times where they miss this call. And, and again, I don't like to put blame on the referees or anything, but. These are calls they have to make. They're, they're calls that they have to take care of and, and get right because there's no challenge. There's no review for this. You have to there's, – there's there, there has to be a guy, right, a referee, an umpire, whatever, back judge. His, probably his only job is to watch the punter and watch the plant leg. And that guy just completely dropped the ball and missed this call. And I think that's – once that didn't happen – once the 49ers didn't get that call, that's when I started to get really, really nervous again. Because I'm like, that is something they needed. They're going to, Seattle's going to get a short field. They've got momentum. That's tough. That's, that's, that's not, not ideal. So, Sterator, the head referee in that game, Gene Sterator, he's the one that threw the flag, and he is behind Andy Lee. And he's right there with the view. I, I don't know what, I don't know why he called it the way he did. Um, he had a direct, he had a direct line of sight view that, uh, what's his name, Maragos hit the punter's plant leg. Um, I have no clue. I, it, it was baffling at the time, and it's still baffling now watching it. It was, it was a terrible call, and. I think Mike. I don't remember what Mike Pereira said. I don't have that portion of the game on, but um, it's funny to watch. It's funny to listen to Mike Pereira explain calls for the 49ers now because he is a. If people don't know, he's a huge 49ers fan. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he's on KBR um, all the time. So yeah, he's always yeah, talking about it. Yeah, he's he's a big fan. Um, and I can't. I don't have the broadcast angle on or the broadcast version on, so I don't know what he says about this one. And I've watched. I, it's been. A, few weeks since I watched it um this game in in full so yeah he it definitely was a bad call yeah prayer prayer basically says it should have been uh roughing the passer he he acknowledges that he said it's roughing the kicker because Andy Lee's uh you know plant leg gets rolled up on and that should have been a 15-yard penalty the Niners get a new set of downs and who knows how you know that flips the game there because you know we've seen this before you get you know you get an extra set of downs you make them think something's happening, whether you end up with a field goal or potentially a touchdown, or you know you have to punt again, but you give the Seahawks a longer field to drive instead of driving at the 40. So those, those things matter in, in football. Um, the next drive, um, Tremaine Brock is getting torched by Doug Baldwin all game. I just wanted to point that out. Um, and, you know, Brock had some good times as a Niner, but he definitely did not show up well against uh, Doug Baldwin. Um it's, and then finally again the Niners they stop them, and then the Niners get a uh, Russell Wilson finally gets called for another intentional grounding. So it's third and twenty-two. Uh, 49ers not take advantage of the down and distance and shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, Wilson the curse, essentially, two plays later is a touchdown, and that's where that uh, that offsides penalty. Seven. 
yeah, that. <laughs> uh, this I, I can I say I hate that rule. Like it's a free play. I just I just stop the play. Is that is fair for me to say? Touchdown. They go trips to one side. They go three verticals and Curse is in the slot position. And Carlos Rogers is in a great position to make a play, just is unable to do that. So you get a free play. Yeah, they're they're only gonna stop the play if the so if if, if a defender is gonna do that, the defender needs to run all the way across and run at the quarterback because they'll blow the play yep. dead. Um otherwise there's no point in jumping trying to jump back before the snap. And I hate that because the the players know that, and say you're just giving him a free shot downfield. Yeah. So what he should have what he should have done? Who was it? Smith. Ah, oh, yeah. You you just you run straight at the quarterback because then they'll just call they'll call the play dead and they'll they'll call it unabated to the quarterback. Yeah, that's that's something I, I I never understood why that wasn't brought into the coaching circles. And I get because I guess <clears throat> if if you get back in time. You can, you you can still you can, you yeah, can but not that, get the penalty. But the thing is, quarterbacks and centers that are worth half a shit, no one as soon as you jump off, just snap the ball, just snap it. Doesn't how many times doesn't matter the quarterbacks looking yeah. at you. Just snap the ball I because mean, you're gonna get a free play. Yeah, I mean, how many times has Aaron Rodgers gotten the free play on that? Yeah, he, always. Every he just he he does all damn just, time. Yeah, I mean, these guys they should uh, jumping back is just. They should just if they're gonna jump off sides, just keep running. Yeah, just go, just go, just finish it. Because they'll blow it. <laughs> finish dead. the job, and you know, because they're as soon and then you know they're like you said they're gonna blow it dead. I don't understand why it's not taught more often and coached up and and just said, hey, if you jump off, just just go, just go all the way. If you're on the interior, yeah. just shove the guard over. You know, do just do something. Don't don't just half-ass it. Don't give them the yeah. free play. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Alden Smith jumps fourth and seven. It's just like you said. If Carlos Rogers is a little bit taller or just there a, a tick early, that's potentially not a touchdown. You know, we could have, you know, and it's fourth and seven. Niners get the ball back. Um, so they, you know, they score. It's now twenty to seventeen, and you know the Niners. They don't. They don't do anything. The Niners delay a game. They mm-hmm. and then Cap fumbles after. You know, the Niners get a delay a game. As usual, something that was common in 2013. Um, I don't know what that issue was, whether it was with the, with the play call or cap at the, at the line of scrimmage or in the huddle. They were so that they were giving Kaepernick and Alex Smith like three plays. They had the way it was explained after Harbaugh was fired was they had in the headset three different play callers, and it was for different levels of the field. So red zone, okay. um, you know, maybe goal line. I, middle of the field, so whatever it was. I don't remember what it was, but they were, um, and on in some instances, giving the quarterback, like, three different plays to call, and it, you know, and then that's why Kaepernick, you know, you would always hear Kaepernick killing the play a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the drawback with that is, if you've got that many people in the headset trying to give the quarterback a play, then you've got no time to do it because everybody's got to get their play in. Um, and for whatever reason, that's just the way the Harbaugh ran that system. It's just three different people in the quarterback's ear telling him a different play. So, 
it for whatever reason it was the dumbest it was dumb then now that we think now that I think about it and it still sounds stupid when I talk about it um <laughs> there should there shouldn't be anybody shouldn't be anybody in the quarterback's ear except the person calling the plays and the head coach so why Harbaugh did it that way, I have no idea. I don't know if that's something he's always done. I don't know if he does that at Michigan still, but my it just it's completely stupid. Yeah, Might explain why the quarterbacks stink at Michigan. <laughs> it's it's mind boggling to why this happens. It, it, it when I when I heard how Harbaugh ran it, it reminded me of Mike Singletary and Jimmy Ray who had that weird game of telephone they would play before the play would come into Alex Smith, and they had so many delay of games just because they were trying to translate it through three different people before it got to Alex Smith. And it's just I, – I, I don't know why that's why they chose to run it that way. I, I don't – I don't get – it's just – I really enjoyed Harbaugh. I, I really they, enjoyed Harbaugh. I just think Harbaugh is one of those guys, it's his way or no way, and he's sometimes too stubborn to – evolve and to learn and I think this is one of those ways where uh, it worked for me at San Diego it worked for me at Stanford it's going to work for me at you know in, in San Francisco and it's, it's it's not the case because how many how many delayed game penalties did the 49ers rack up in Harbaugh's time it's so many too many so many I mean they had Gre- they had Greg Roman Jeep Christ um, I forget who else called plays there was one other guy in there you know, one one co- each coach was responsible for a, a certain section of the field, so it it just sounds so inefficient to me. So while we're at while we're on Harbaugh, Harbaugh has several tantrums in this game, and I want to just talk about the comparison between Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan seems pretty even <clears throat> until something really stupid happens, and Harbaugh was the complete opposite. He runs, you know, he runs pretty hot. He's pretty. Uh, pretty out there is that you know looking back at the Harbaugh era I think that was like a detriment because he just never I don't know if he was ever thinking clearly throughout a game because he was so just high you know just high level up tempo just all over the place all the time do you think that ever affected his way do you ever do you think that affected the way he managed games the way he acted on the sidelines yeah no, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I've seen them. I've seen the tantrums live because I I went to a few of the away games on the East Coast uh, when I was living out there. Um, I mean, he's a high strung guy. I, I don't think that affected the way he called games or the way he acted or whatever. But um, Shanahan's just different. Shanahan doesn't outwardly have an outburst directed at the officials he did the one monday night game against the giants yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um but that whole season was a complete i mean I, he was frustrated probably beyond words that point at that point but uh for Har, i mean harbaugh was doing this for the 49ers he does it for michigan um did it stanford too he's he yeah he i mean he did it yeah, I mean, he was doing it with Pete Carroll as early as, like, 2007 or 2008 when he first came to Stanford. So, um, I don't I don't know that it affects him. I mean, how, the guy wins wherever he goes. So, I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a, a detriment in any way. I, 
I mean, whereas whereas Shanahan just does it to players on the sideline. <laughs> Cursed out Jimmy week one. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't know if it affected Harbaugh's ability to call the game, but I, I'm a big proponent and believer in teams take on the personality of their head coach. And I think that sometimes they would get a little the 49ers seem like they would get a little hectic under Harbaugh. And I don't think I don't think we ever see Harbaugh in the NFL again for a long period of time because I think he's a very grating person. I think he has a way of wearing on people and he's built the best for college because his entire roster turns over every four years. You know, it maybe maybe five years you get a red shirt guy. Um, but for the most part, guys aren't there long enough for them to, for the message to just lose its lose its focus and lose its meaning to the guys. And I think Harbaugh is, he was a, he was a, he was a shooting star, right? In, in the NFL, he was so good from the moment he got there, but then he burnt out so quick just because I think as soon as the team started to not win, his message became stale. And all of a sudden you're telling the same thing to grown ass men who are 35, 36 years old. And it's just not having the same effect it did when you first said it. Yeah. So, well, that and Harbaugh's there. Michigan's never going to let him go unless he just completely implodes. I mean, he is a god there, d- despite how everything has gone so far up there. Um, I have a friend who's pretty plugged in with the alumni and some of those people that are really close with, you know, the all the sports and the up there and the football team and everything. And despite everything that's gone on, I mean, they. They love the guy. They, they. The feeling is they can't get anybody better to coach that team than him mm. right now. So he's not going to go anywhere for a while. Yeah, it makes no, sense. Yeah, I mean, keep him in the Big Ten. He doesn't win against Penn State very often, and he doesn't beat <laughs> Ohio State, so that's fine. Um, so you know, Cap fumbles his third and six. He fumbles on third and six. Is returned by Michael Bennett to about the ten. Um, and this is probably the the nail in the coffin here. Um. Three plays in, the Seahawks, they end up getting a false start, and it's second goal um, from about the 12 or 13. <laughs> and this is the play that changes Navarro Bowman's career. Um, he completely tears up his knee. Um, Eric Reed hits um, a curse, and he falls right into... Navarro Bowman's knee, and this is the last time we see Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman play a down together. And that, like I said earlier in the pod, um, that hit me rewatching this game and hit me a couple days ago when I was thinking about it. We never see these two on the field again. And just to reflect on Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, you know, their careers together, um, I think arguably they may be the best linebacker duo to do it for their period of time. Um, I know you have Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs, and there's a couple other guys that can be, you know, honorable mentions, but um, any thoughts on those two gentlemen and how their careers ended? Bowman's the guy that forced it. He's got the ball right there, right in his gut. But you see the left leg of Navarro Bowman get pinned underneath. And it might have been at that moment that he lost the football. It's not reviewable. 
The All-Pro Navarro Bowman gets caught. It was the beginning of the end. This game, plain and simple, just the beginning of the end, and that that was like the nail in the coffin right there. Yeah, I, I mean, this was. It's tough. You look at, you know, we we had Adam Rank on um, earlier on in the season um, right before the playoffs started. We got <laughs> to bring him on and make fun of him for his prediction, basically. Um, he he, ta- he said, you know, Patrick Willis is like a no-brainer Hall of Famer, and, and I agree. And everyone is is so quick to point out that he had a short career, but I don't think that should affect him as much because people also had no problem putting in Calvin Johnson. They're probably not going to have any hangs up, hang-ups putting in Luke Keekley when it comes time for him to... And I think Patrick Willis was just as good at the peak of his game. You think he was as good as a linebacker as the NFL has ever seen. I honestly 100% believe that. And somehow, Navarro Bowman was better. In 2013, Navarro Bowman was the best football player on the planet. I, it's incredible to go back and watch what he was doing. And to put both of them on the same team playing the same inside <laughs> linebacker position that is the best linebacker tandem in the history of the NFL argue with a motherfucking wall about it because that is the fact those two playing side by side is the best linebacker tandem in NFL history yeah yeah I would agree with that yeah and the, this, what sucks about this is Bo, you know, he should have won Defensive Player of the Year in 2013. Mm-hmm. And they gave it to Keekley. Um, he doesn't get rewarded the fumble recovery, even after his knee is shattered. Um, they're not going to get the ball back, you know, one play later. Um, but I think, you know, if Bowman doesn't get hurt here, I think his career, his career could have just, he could end up being one of the, he could have ended up being one of the greatest of all time because, he was trending upward, you know, and it's not how often you get a crazy hit like that on your leg or, or get tied up with, you know, a teammate and a receiver. And you can see automatically once he takes the hit, the you know, the entire defense and the Niners and the Seahawks, they're all they all take a knee. They're just like, holy shit, this really happened. And Russell Wilson spoke about it several times. He he loved playing against Navarro Bowman. And that was just one of the, the guys that he really enjoyed playing against. Same thing. Uh, with Marshawn Lynch. They love playing against Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. And I want to point out the assholes who threw, threw, threw popcorn on Bowman. Like, you know, this, these people are human beings, too. Like, come on, man. The guy just tore up his knee playing in probably one of the biggest games of his career, had having one of his greatest seasons. Um, and it's remarkable Bowman actually came back and played in 2015. But for him to come back after, I think it was ACL, MCL, and ACL tear, it was just all the way gone and you know for someone to throw popcorn on that's just classless and, and you know irritating um quick, also real, on this real drive quick, real quick i'm gonna say something that's probably gonna be unpopular because it's, it's not i'm not defending seahawks fans I'm not defending them at all I, i'm just saying that i think if you put the biggest rivals in all of sports in, in a stadium i don't care what stadium it is they're getting popcorn thrown on them like that's it's gonna happen there's always one or two assholes in the crowd that are going to do it. Um, Me, 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 but also you. (laughs) The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? 
I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Reminds me of last year when, when Kevin Durant's Achilles traced its way back up his calf ugh, in the finals. And um, <laughs> pe- pe- Warriors fans were so quick to go, oh, Raptors fans are classless. And it's like, no, it's, no. They're not. I mean, it's is a classless move. Looking back at it, sure, I guess not great, but it's a rivalry game. It's a big, intense game. That's how any fan's gonna react. They, if they, if a player on the other team goes down, you're going to cheer. And I'm not saying it, it's yeah, football. It just happens. Football games, especially. I mean, it didn't even. They don't even have to be rivals. I remember the when the Seahawks went to Jacksonville to play the Jaguars. Um. And they, something happened in that game, and they were going at it with fans or whatever. Yeah, um, it was towards the end of the game, and you know, some fan threw beer on. I forget some one of the defensive linemen. I don't even remember, mm-hmm. but I mean, it doesn't even have to be you know rivals. It's just you you've got people drinking their asses off for three quarters, and by the middle of the fourth quarter, when they stop serving, everyone's inebriated and. Something somebody does something stupid like that. I mean, it's inevitable. And it becomes monkey see, monkey do. One person throws popcorn, everybody's gonna throw popcorn. It, 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 it's it's a it's a <laughs> it's a slippery slope to go down. So I, I don't want. I'm not defending Seahawks fans. I'm not saying they were right for throwing popcorn at Bowman. I'm just saying that I don't think we can sit here and point finger directly at Seahawks fans. And say they're the only ones that would do it because they're not. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was calling his own fans out for yelling obscenities during. Uh, some moment of silence or whatever. Like they just do dumb shit <laughs> at football mm-hmm. games. I, you know, I don't, I don't understand it. I've never been to a baseball game where anyone's done anything stupid, um, except the occasional person jumping the outfield wall to go streaking. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, at any given Sunday, there's somebody doing something stupid in an NFL in an NFL game. I mean, there's fights all the time. Um, you know, you got all that stuff that goes on. I've seen people get arrested at Chargers Giants games in San Diego, like for fighting and stuff. It's just, it's so bizarre. It's just football, <laughs> for whatever reason, brings it out in people. Yeah, I will say I get a little rowdy, but I don't, I don't cheer for injuries, and I don't. Um, I mean, we were getting fans out. It's, but, but it's, I get it. We we went to the NFC Championship game in Atlanta. Um, the year prior to this one, and people were threatening to beat us up and kill us and everything, and you know, leaving the stadium in Atlanta. So it 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 is what it is. I mean, at that point, you just try to get the hell out of there, and you know, we try to go celebrate back at the hotel with all the other fans. But Jesus Christ, it's just something about football that does it. Yeah, and you know, the other thing on that drive, something that broke was the Niners' streak of. Not allowing a hundred yard rusher, Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch breaks hundred yards. Um, they don't get in for the touchdown; they just uh, kick a field goal. Um, the Niners get the ball back. I'm sorry, the, 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 they don't kick a field goal. Sorry, Marshawn Lynch ends up fumbling. The Niners get the ball back. Um, there's the ultimate two plays. In. There's the ultimate ball don't lie scenario because that was a fumble. Navarro Bowman recovered that from Curse. He he was a fumble. <laughs> Navarro Bowman recovered it. That was 49ers ball after his knee was torn to shreds. That was 49ers ball. They didn't call it. So, ball don't lie. 
Marshawn Lynch fumbled and flipped it right back around. Kaepernick is going to be picked, intercepted by Chancellor. This team, like I said, they don't miss many opportunities. Earl Thomas did earlier. Cam Chancellor was underneath that throw from the time the ball was snapped. I don't know what Colin Kaepernick saw that made him think he could get that ball in to Anquan Bolden. Just a, a terrible decision and a terrible throw. Yeah, so the, 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 the Niners get the ball back. Two plays in the drive. Cap throws a stupid pass. Um, and he throws his ball twice because he throws it the first time to Bolden. It gets picked off by Cam Chancellor. And then he throws that same pass again to Crabtree on the, sec- on the, next, the, the next drive, and he completes it. But that was just a, a terrible throw. Like, I don't know what you're thinking, Cap throwing this pass you know i i get it you, you got one over earl thomas um in the back of the end zone but this one was clear as day you threw it right to cam chancellor i don't know what he was thinking so back-to-back turnovers seahawks get the ball back short field again um and they end up turning that into three points so it's 23 to 17 and it's at this point i'm like we're gonna lose this game because i just don't trust the niners two-minute offense to get things going um for the niners so the Niners get the ball back. This, we're getting close. You know, we're at, we're in the fourth quarter. There's three minutes left. Niners have three timeouts, um, and the final drive of the game for the Niners is something that I was I was getting excited because I'm like, oh wow, we're getting we're completing passes. We're getting something against this defense. Um, Niners get the ball back. Three thirty six left. First play, um, Lamichael James, which I hated that pick by the way. Um, <laughs> first play, loss of one. Uh, second play, pass to Bolden for nine yards. Third and two, pass breakup um, to Crabtree. Cam uh, broke up the pass to Crab. Fourth and two, completes the pass to Gore. Un- something that keeps gets forgotten in this game. Frank Gore broke his hand in this game. Um, and I think that affected him in the run game. It affected him in the pass game. But he gets a 17-yard completion. We hit the two-minute warning. And first down run. Uh for cap for four uh we still have three timeouts second down bolden for four yards and then third down is the same throw that he threw an interception to to bolden uh he completes it to crabtree for 16 yards and finally vernon davis arrives here he has a reception for a first down keeps the drive going um the niners are in scoring position why don't they call a timeout no reason to rush we can agree there right there was no reason to rush i mean they let they let 25 seconds run off the clock yeah i, I mean you can look back and say it's just so simple they were they were probably trying to eat up as much of the clock as they could to not give russell wilson even even a hail mary 
right? They wanted they wanted to take it down as far as they could to not give him a shot, and, and especially with the way the the special teams coverage had been, uh, they they hadn't covered kicks very well. Uh, we talked about it that, that Doug Baldwin had the sixty nine yard return right after um, right after the, the jump throw to Bolden. That wasn't the first time that the 49 special teams had somewhat failed to properly cover a punt or a kick. So I, I get it, but at the same time, regroup. Call a timeout, regroup, get the troops together, get everybody ready to rock and roll because it's the most important plays coming up. Yeah, and, you know, me and, me and Matt talked to Adam Snyder because he played in this game, and he we asked him about the play that comes up here where – you know, there's there's no reason to rush this play. There's no reason to, you know, they could have regrouped, got their breath, and, you know, maybe drew up a better play. But Crabtree did have Sherm beat here. He, he was behind him, but Sherman, we've seen Sherman do this for the Niners. He just makes a great play on the ball, and it's ball game. That's the end of the game. And, you know, the Niners, they, they never see the ball again. But from Adam Snyder's perspective, he's like, listen, in that position, your emotion's running high, Cap's trying to make a play, you can't blame him for it. And that was his. Those were his words. He's like, you can't, you can't blame the guy for it. He made, he tried to make a play, tried to make a big play in a big moment. Cap was one of the guys who didn't fear the big moment from what he, you know, he was telling us. So it was, I get it, but he had time in the pocket to look at the field because if we rewatch this play, he has Quentin Patton, he has Vernon Davis, he has options on this play that are open, and he just takes the shot to shirt to to crab, and it's just like. What are you doing? And he also has Bolden in the end zone. If he just, you know, throws the rope that we know Crab Kaepernick can throw, I don't know. I don't know what he. I guess maybe that is his primary read, Crabtree. But I don't. It's just frustrating to rewatch because you see who's open on that play. <laughs> Everyone but Crabtree. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I could think is they wanted that one-on-one with that coverage. Um, You've got it looks like initially like a too high look pre-snap, but they drop down into uh, what Seattle calls soft sky, where the safety nearest the sideline, the uh, we call it the I guess the boundary safety. Um, he's looking for a vertical coming up that part of the hash, so he kind of drops down and looks for it. So you've got a one-on-one with Sherman and Crabtree. Um, I, th- I think in that situation, I think they knew the coverage they were going to get and they knew the play call they were going to go to in that situation. Um, and f- in fact, it wasn't uh, it wasn't soft sky. It looks like uh, kind of what the 49ers play now um, with uh, like cover three buzz and that's that safety away from the trips is looking for a crosser. So they've got one on one to Crabtree's side. It just happened to be that it was against Sherman. So that's already a difficult play to make but I think in that situation they knew what they were going to get and that was the call they were going to go with and they stuck with it so he just if he throws that you know three feet ahead of Crabtree that's a touchdown and they probably are looking at a sixth Super Bowl at that point because there's no way the Broncos were going to beat them that year yeah yeah the 49ers were going to they were going to wreck the Broncos. Um, I felt the same way about the Patriots and the year they, they lost to the Giants. Uh, I felt like they should have been the favorites in all three years. Um, obviously, they didn't beat the Ravens, but this one was... I, I struggled with the aftermath of this game just because I, I... 
I couldn't piece together how they could be up 10 nothing, how they could be up 10-3 at half, how they could be up 17-10 and just completely fall apart and, and let the Seahawks of all teams beat them. And, and I, I was I was frustrated. And then, you know, we had the, the, the following season, the 2014 season come up, and the frustration just continued. I think they finished 8-8 eight eight that year, but it was a really, yep, yeah. really mm-hmm. bad 8-8 eight eight team. Like, they had no business being 8-8. Eight eight. They played poorly. It was just bad all, losses. It was bad losses. Their wins were ugly. It was just a poor season across the board. And there was, the, I mean, the writing was on the, I think the writing was on the wall after this game. Harbaugh was gone. He was not going to stick so around he, because the team just, there were the, the, the fractures that came out right after this game. Was, he's gone. He's not going to be around anymore. Yeah, so well, they had that really bad um, they had that really bad draft in 2012 after the 20 mm-hmm. after that's that first season so by 2014 a lot of those players weren't even around so they weren't even getting any kind of return on their investment there so that was part of it um they had the rumors that they were trying to trade Harbaugh to the Browns <laughs> you know that came that came out after this game what and I think after the Super mm-hmm. Bowl I think yep. yeah so uh, that was kind of just the beginning of the end was that loss. So, you know, we, we, you said it, it's the beginning of the end. We talked about it and it's, um, the Harbaugh era ended, you know, not in the way we all thought it would end. And for them to go eight and eight the following year. And then, you know, you don't see Willis and Bowman any again, ever again, Alden Smith issues start to pick up. Justin Smith retires in 15. So much comes out of this game. The Seahawks, you know, this is where I, I have so much disdain for the Seahawks. Like, they're a big reason why the Niners fell into that shithole they fell into. Um, you know, Harbaugh had an issue with beating the Seahawks in Seattle. The issues with Jed York and Harbaugh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, regresses or just has bad coaching. You you said it, Rich. The draft picks were terrible. Trent Baalke and the coaching staff were never on the same page. Um, just as an organization, the Seahawks broke them this game, and I, I fully believe that. And it's just... It sucks to go through, you know, the 14, 15, 16. Those, those three seasons were just miserable as a 49er fan coming off three NFC Championship game appearances and a Super Bowl berth. So that's, that's just terrible. Um, something that comes up a lot with 49er fans, and I don't know why it does, but just to touch on it, does Alex Smith win this game? No. Nope. He doesn't. There are... Uh... And there, I've thought about this a lot, and I've had discussions about this with people online and stuff. I, there are a handful of games that Kaepernick won that I just don't think Smith would have won. And you can go back to 2012 with the game against the Patriots. Yep. Yeah. Where Cap threw four touchdowns. I recently just watched that game last this past week. Um, you got the on the road in Atlanta in the NFC Championship game. I don't think he comes back and wins that. Exactly. Um, I don't. I don't think he wins this game. I don't think he brings. I don't think he rallies the team to bring him back. Um, in either of those Packers playoff games, and you can argue that the maybe the plate the game plan would be different with Smith, but especially in the Super Bowl when they got down, I mean. You needed an arm that could throw it downfield and get chunk plays, and Smith just didn't have that. I mean, he made chunk plays here and there, but it wasn't 
you know, in his first year with Harbaugh, he only threw 17 touchdowns. Um, he just, they just weren't, they were going to control the ball with the run game and they were, they weren't going to get behind. And when they got behind, um, especially with Kaepernick, they were able to come back. I just don't think Smith has that or didn't have it at the time. Right. I think the, the game that stands out to me for the, the Smith Kaepernick, um, discussion, it's, it's in 20, it's in 2012. It was the Giants game where Alex Smith played particularly kind of poorly and they, they got down and then they just had no shot of coming back because the team was stuck with trying to run the ball and trying to dink and dunk their way down the field and they couldn't. And when the Giants took that away from them, they couldn't push the ball downfield and threaten them in another way. Colin Kaepernick would have been able to come back in that game just because he's so much more dynamic and he does so many more things. Kaepernick made some plays in this game that Alex Smith as good as he is and was in the NFL, would never be able to sniff making. The jump throw is one of them. The fact that the entire offense ran through Kaepernick. He had 11 rushes for 130 yards. Like, Alex Smith is not hes not doing that. It is, this, this Seattle defense was designed to beat the hell out of average quarterbacks and above-average quarterbacks, and it took elite guys to beat them. Alex Smith would have looked like Peyton Manning did in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks defense. I firmly believe that. Yeah. Yeah, so the year, the 2014 season, you know, the reason I ask is because it comes up, because he Alex played for the Chiefs, um, and he had a very pedestrian day against the Seahawks. The Chiefs did win the game 24-20, to but Alex's line is 11 for 16 for 108, 108 yards passing. Like, that was it. Um, Kaepernick's ability to move out of the pocket, do things off schedule, extend plays, and then, of course, being able to push the ball downfield are the differences here. Not taking anything away from Alex, but um, that 49er offense was designed for Kaepernick to succeed. And they did so, you know, for two and a half seasons uh, with Cap and, you know, playoff run, Super Bowl berth. And then, of course, the 2013 playoff run where he did they did win two road games. And, you know, to win a third road game in the NFC Championship game, that was always going to be tough to do. Um, but they were within... They were within fifteen. They were within eighteen yards of mm-hmm. potentially winning that NFC Championship game. Um, so I think we all agree Alex Smith would not have won that game. Um, we've already said it. That's the beginning of the end of the Harbaugh Kaepernick era. It just it just fell apart after that. We saw the twenty fourteen season go eight and eight. There was you know they, that team should have been ten and six. They should have won that Saints game and they should have won that Chargers game. But you know the ball doesn't bounce your way. You do stupid shit on and off the field as a team. Um, there was a lot of things going on in that locker room that were out of control. You know, Navarro Bowman said it when he retired. You know, he had mentioned it. He's like, we had really good players on the field, but we didn't know what they were going to do off the field. And that was something that stuck out to me when Bowman uh, mentioned that in his retirement speech. Um, and, you know, the fallout from that, it's just right now, the, the I think the rivalry is back with the Seahawks. You know, the Niners did split the season series one and one and we didn't see the Seahawks in the playoffs I was hoping for a tougher NFC championship game as opposed to the Packers but I was also glad that we didn't have to place the Seahawks again Russell Wilson scares the life the life out of me because I think he is that good um but you know that that's that should do it you know to cover the 2013 NFC championship game um we ran a little long but this game deserves to be rewatched. and as a Niner fan it's always good to look back at the good and the bad because 
a lot of things happened because of this game, and we talked we touched on a few of those things. Um, the Niners are in a good position now. Hopefully, they can get back into the playoffs next year. We'll see if they get back in the Super Bowl. Um, but without some of these things that happened in the past, obviously, we may not be where we are. And I don't think Harbaugh would have been long for the team anyways had they won this game either. I think that relationship was fractured. If I read everything correctly, they were trying to trade him. Um, all the rumors are coming out with Balky and Harbaugh. They don't like each other. York gets kicked out of a meeting because this meeting is only for men because that's what Harbaugh told him. It's just a really bad relationship. Um, <laughs> I love that. Okay, I love that. Uh, Harbaugh is going to – he holds a special place in my heart, and I, I absolutely love that. I could I could see him saying that to Jed York. Yeah, Harbaugh's like that is special kind of crazy. Like he's the guy that said like he doesn't want his Michigan players eating chicken because that is a scared bird. Yeah. Like the guy is just he, he's a little he's yeah. a little off, he, you know. <laughs> but but that's what makes him successful. And it, this was definitely the nail in the coffin for his San Francisco career. Um, I agree with you. I think even if he he could have come in and won three straight Super Bowls, and I think Jed York still would have tried to trade him. And we've gotten the Cleveland Browns first round picks for the next three years for him. <laughs> well, then, they, then they got rid of him, and you saw how it went for the next uh, two. two seasons yeah. after that. So, but it led us. Yeah, it Jimmy... led us to Shanahan. So I'm okay with it. All is forgiven. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. If Harbaugh would have won that Super Bowl in 2013 against the, if they would have went and played the Broncos, he, you're looking at. A Super Bowl carrying everything, and he would have probably coached through at least 2017. Yeah, yeah. So winning cures all. Winning does cure all. It hides but a we lot might of have shit. had you might have had a you might have had a winning team for you know 14, 15, 16, and 17. And then who knows after that? But you know, I, I love Kyle Shanahan. I th- he's my you know him and Harbaugh are probably my two favorite coaches you know currently. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a tough watch. Rewatching it was a tough watch, and yeah. rewatching while we're talking about it is even worse because then you know we're all breaking down our thoughts on this game. And um, but yeah, you know that should do it, Rich. We want to thank you for coming on and, and talking about this game, talking through it with us, um, and doing this rewind episode. Uh, let the folks know where they can find you. I know you have uh, an all twenty two uh, Twitter handle that's actually really really good for folks who need to. Uh, do their studying. Want to shout that out? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rich J Madrid, and then I have a separate uh, account where I do scheme, 49 ers scheme specific stuff. Um, looking back at the uh, when I first started, I was looking back at the Harbaugh years, um, doing some Shanahan stuff, and I'll be going back and forth between that and whatever else I can get my hands on. But it is. Uh, 49ers all 22 analysis at 49ers all 22 um, just spelled out well 40, 49ers all 22 the number 22 so um, kind of just tweeting really specific stuff over there so follow that if you're looking for more specific stuff than the general football stuff I tweet out from my normal account yeah, no, Rich, you know, we really appreciate you coming back on. Um, you stepped in for Javi when he was out of town last year, and it's it's been nice having you back, even though we're looking at a uh, a sore subject. I guess it's not so sore anymore, but not not a happy subject for sure. Nah, it's all good. I appreciate you having me on. 
We appreciate it. Well, that, that covers it for today, guys, and we'll be back next week. Um, until then, follow us on Twitter at 4th and Gold Podcast. I'm Javi. Follow me at uh, JavierVague underscore on Twitter, and then follow my guy Matt here at MattBar underscore. And uh, we will be back next week uh, with another episode of the 4th and Gold Podcast. Follow us on all your podcast platforms, Google, Stitcher, Apple, wherever your podcasts are found. Subscribe, rate, and review. But until then, go Niners. Peace. Under NASA's Artemis program, Dynetics and Lidos will develop and build a new human landing system, advancing economic opportunities and paving the way for a sustained lunar economy. Learn more at DyneticsHLS.com. Wendy's Baconator is the ultimate bacon cheeseburger that puts all other cheeseburgers to cheeseburger shame. And now we're bringing that same big bacon energy to shake up and wake up your breakfast with the Breakfast Baconator. Stacked with a fresh cracked egg, sausage, cheese, and bacon. And right now, you can get a free Breakfast Baconator with purchase in the Wendy's app. So get to Wendy's and always be Baconating. We got you. Offer available at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time during breakfast hours only. Offer must be redeemed via the app. Account registration required.